We're going to pray for our time together and our prayers this morning will be informed by the first part of our main Bible reading, which is 2 Kings 21. Uh, do follow as I read. If you do need a Bible, there are some um, church Bibles on the uh, bookstore at the back. Help yourself to those. I'm going to read 2 Kings chapter 21 and then lead us in prayer for our time together. It says this. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hethzibah. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. And he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his son as an offering and used fortune-telling and omens and dealt with mediums and with wizards. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And the carved image of Asherah that he made, he set in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not cause the feet of Israel to wander any more out of a land that I gave to their fathers, if only they would be careful to do according to all that I have commanded them, and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they did not listen, and Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done, whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. And the Lord said by his servants, the prophets, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these abominations and has done things more evil than all that the Amorites did who were before him, and has made Judah also to sin with his idols, therefore thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plumb line of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of my heritage and give them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies, because they have done what is evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed very innocent, much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another before the sin that he had made Judah to sin so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did and the sin that he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his house, in the garden of Uzzah, and Ammon, his son, reigned in his place. Ammon was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulumeth, the daughter of Haraz of Jotbah, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh his father had done. He walked in all the ways in which his father walked and served the idols that his father served and worshipped them. He 
He abandoned the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. And the servants of Ammon conspired against him and put the, death, the king to death in his house. But the people of the land struck down all those who had conspired against the king Ammon, and the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And he was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah, and Josiah his son reigned in his place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who made the world and everything in it. And we acknowledge how from the very beginning we are in a dependent relationship on you, that we are dependent on you for life and breath and everything else. We acknowledge that we are utterly dependent creatures on you, our creator. And whilst we acknowledge our need of you, we humbly acknowledge that you're a God who does not need us. You do not need our worship. You do not need our money. You do not need anything from us. Yet whilst you do not need anything, we thank you that you've chosen to set your love on your people. We thank you that you're a personal God and that you've chosen to extend those relationships with us. We thank you for sending your son to die on a cross, taking the penalty for our sin, in order that we might enjoy the forgiveness of our sins and be righteous in your sight. Please would you help us this morning as we continue to reflect on a period of history when your people are set on misrepresenting you by making and following idols. Please would you help us to consider your response to this and therefore what we are to expect from your king. In a world where idolatry is still rife, please help us to learn how your people are to relate to you and to the world in which we live. Please might we understand how your gospel concerns the appointment of your king that calls people to turn from idols and worship the true and living God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's time now for the rest of our main Bible reading, which we pick it up at 2 Kings chapter 22. Two Kings 22, and starting at verse 1 says this. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah and Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshullam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who had, have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house, 
that is, to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons, and let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shephan and Akbor the son of Micaiah and Shephan the secretary and Isaiah the king's servant saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Aziah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they talked with her, and she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent, And you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against the place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, and on his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book, and all the people joined in the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest, and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron, and carried their ashes to Bethel, and he deposed the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places of the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem. 
Those also who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon and the constellations and all the hosts of the heavens. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of a lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burned it all, burned it at the brook Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of a lord where the woman wove hangings for the Asherah, and he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had made offerings, from Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on one's left at the gate of the city. However, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son and his daughter as an offering to Molech. And he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the son at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the chamber, chamberlain, which was in the precincts. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. And the altars on the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars that Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, he poured down and broke in pieces, and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. And the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had put for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, and for Shemosh, the abomination of Moab and for Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And he broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the, Ash- the Asherim and filled their place with the bones of men. <clears throat> Moreover, the altar of Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel to sin, that altar with the high place he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah. And as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mount, And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled them, according to the word of the Lord that the man of God proclaimed, who had predicted these things. Then he said, What is that monument that I see? And the men of the city told him, It is the tomb of the man of God, who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar at Bethel. And he said, Let him be. Let no man move his bones. So they left his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came out of Samaria. And Josiah removed all the shrines also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which kings of Israel have made, provoking the Lord to anger. He did to them according to all that he had done at Bethel. And he sacrificed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he returned to Jerusalem. And the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as is written in the book of the covenants. For no such Passover has been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel, or during all the days of the kings of Israel, or of the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah, and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. 
Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Still the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath by which his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight, as I have removed Israel, and I will cast off this city that I have chosen Jerusalem, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up to the king of Assyria, to the river Euphrates. King Josiah went to meet him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo as soon as he saw him. And his servants carried him dead in a chariot from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in his father's place. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. And Pharaoh Necho put him in bonds at Riblah in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem, and laid on the land a tribute of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. And Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in the place of Josiah his father, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. But he took Jehoiahaz away, and he came to Egypt and died there. And Jehoiakim gave the silver and the gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give the money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and the gold of the people of the land from everyone according to his assessment to give it to Pharaoh Necho. Well, to keep that text open, we're going to be looking at that together. Uh, just to say there's an outline of where we're going in these next few minutes in your handout. So do make use of those to make notes, um, study your thinking. And at the end, there'll be an opportunity for any questions or comments, either on uh, what we're going to be looking at today or as we're approaching the end of Two Kings, kind of putting it together um, these next few weeks. We've got a chance to you know, reflect and put the whole book together. So do be thinking about uh, those thoughts as well. But before we go any further, let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who is truthful, good and sovereign. And therefore we pray that we might display who you are as your people in our response to your word. That we would listen to it, we would trust it and obey it. For Jesus' sake, amen. When it comes to worship, everyone is agreed that it needs to be true worship. The only other option to true worship would be some kind of false worship, and nobody wants that. But it's here that the agreement ends. For in this true worship... Who is it true to? Our culture celebrates the idea of being true to yourself. 
And this can find expression on how we think about worship. The thing that becomes important is that I worship in a way that is true to me. Anything less is inauthentic. You are hiding who you are. And this, we're told, is tiring. It's living a double life to desire to worship one way, but feel the need to worship another way. It's exhausting. Don't act like someone you're not. Be yourself, we're told. Show your true self in the way that you serve and worship God. But there is another person in the relationship. We worship God. And there are two people in that relationship, us and God. Now, so far, we've focused on the idea of being true to ourselves. But what about being true to God? What would that look like? How would that compare with worship that is true to us? And which is the true worship? Among the kings who reigned in Jerusalem in the final years of the kingdom, two stand out. Manasseh and Josiah. The first is Manasseh in 2 Kings chapter 21. Manasseh is the very worst king of Judah. He rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah removed and built altars to Baal, verse 3. He worshipped the sun, moon and stars, verse 5. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, verse 6 and practice sorcery and consulting mediums and spiritists. He led the whole kingdom astray. There was plenty of worshipping going on, but it was not true worship of the Lord God. Did you notice that twice that we're told that the nations were driven out or destroyed by the Lord precisely because they did the things that Manasseh is now doing. Indeed, Manasseh not only surpassed the sinfulness of all his predecessors, he surpassed the sinfulness of the pagan Amorites, verse 11. And so, now the Lord will bring disaster upon Jerusalem and Judah. The verdict is there in chapter 21, verse 13. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plumb line of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. Judah will fall as Israel has fallen. In contrast to Manasseh, his grandson, Josiah, was the most godly of all the kings to reign in Jerusalem. 
Now, the measure of this king comes as no surprise. David, chapter 22, verse 2. The name David continues to shine in the text as a lamp in the darkness. That said, it's not until the 18th year of his reign that Josiah begins to take action to restore true worship in Judah. It's not until Shaphan, returning with a financial report, that Josiah is presented with this book of the law. Let's pick it up from chapter 22, verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Akbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Asiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Josiah's concern is that in not having obeyed the words of this book, God's wrath would be kindled against them. Now the book itself may have been the book that we know as Deuteronomy. If this is so, it's likely that it was a copy of of this work kept in the temple for the kings to refer to. Now, we might ask, how long has this book been hidden for? But whilst many of the previous kings do not do as the Lord commanded, this is invariably presented as not happening through ignorance, but through their own disobedience. Last week, we saw Hezekiah had been commended for keeping this law, chapter 18, verse 6. And so there's no reason to think that the loss or concealment of the book is being presented as anything other than a recent event occurring during the reign of Manasseh. Most likely, it had been hidden in the dark days of Manasseh's kingship. While the demands of God's law found an immediate response in Josiah. And under the law of God, Josiah led a reform in Judah of extraordinary thoroughness. His first move was to gather all the people together and to read or have read to them all the words of the book. Verse 2 of chapter 23. And the purpose of the reading was to prepare for a renewal of the covenant between the Lord and his people. This is then followed in verses 4 to 14 by the destruction of Baal worship in Jerusalem. I mean, he's so thorough, removing all traces of false worship among the peoples. Articles are moved from a temple and burnt, verse 4. Priests are deported from their high places and the high places are destroyed, verse 5. The Asherah pole is burned and ground to powder, verse 6. The quarters of the shrine prostitutes are destroyed, verse 7. 
The horses and chariots dedicated to the sun are removed, verse 11. The altars erected to Ahaz and Manasseh are pulled down and smashed to pieces, verse 12. Josiah is comprehensive and thorough. And it's in verses 21 to 25 that the king commands the celebration of the Passover. In celebrating this festival, Josiah not only outstrips Hezekiah in faithfulness to God, but even, even David himself. For a Passover like this had not been observed since before the days of the judges who led Israel. And so, of all the kings... Josiah is the only one to receive unqualified commendation by the author. Chapter 23, verse 25. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise after him. One of the things that you may have noticed is that Josiah's reform comes as a fulfilment of promise. The promise was given back in 1 Kings 13. Jeroboam, to be the measure of the kings of the northern kingdom, had constructed two golden calves, uh, an act that would lead, uh, eventually lead to disaster of that northern kingdom. And when that happened, when he constructed these two golden calves, that disaster was predicted almost immediately in the text of 1 Kings. Jeroboam was worshipping at the temple in Bethel when this anonymous prophet, this man of God, was sent to him. That prophet destroyed the altar and predicted the desecration of the bones of Jeroboam's heretical priesthood on it. And if you remember, when we looked at it um, many moons ago, we observed that it, it was one of the most significant uh, long-range prophecies in the Bible. I mean, let me just read uh, 1 Kings 13, verse 2. It says this, The man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, O altar, Thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. So the the prophet back in 1 Kings 13 announced the birth of a Davidic king, and this king will restore true worship by smashing, obliterating, burning, defiling its false invitation. And he even names the king almost 300 years before his birth. And when Josiah does appear in 2 Kings 23, he destroyed idol worship. Just as Moses destroyed the golden calf, Josiah burnt the altars, pounded them to dust, and scattered the ashes. Now, this informs our expectation of God's Messiah. 
Idolatry spells disaster. Disaster for Israel at this point. The solution comes from a Davidic king, a king who will put an end to idolatry and a king who will restore true worship. And the two go together. You can't have true worship whilst there is idolatry. The gods that we make up aren't real, and therefore our relationship with them is not real. That's the tragedy. And that has to be dealt with if there is to be true worship. You can only have true worship when we worship God as he really is. Have to do away with the imitation, away with the lie. Only then can the people worship God truly. Now, this sets the expectation of God's Messiah. And whilst this particular promise of this man of God is fulfilled, Josiah's righteousness could not remove the guilt of Manasseh. So if you look at the end of 23, uh, chapter 23 of 2 Kings, verse 26, still the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath by which his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight as I have removed Israel, and I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. So whilst Josiah will not personally see all the disaster that is, is going to fall on Jerusalem, um, as this would be um, delayed, nevertheless, the judgment that had been announced will surely fall. You know, Judah would yet be judged. There is a too late. Well, we began by considering the idea of true worship. But who is it to be true to? Our culture would celebrate a worship of God that is true to us. That is idolatry. It's what Manasseh encouraged and brought about the downfall of Judah under the judgment of God. On the other hand, there's such a thing as worship that's true to God. Josiah is regarded as the restorer of true worship. On the basis of the law of Moses, he purged the land of idolatry and turned to the law with all his heart, with all his soul and with all his might. And whilst his reforms didn't last, it prepares the way and contributes to an understanding of what we are to expect from God's king. We're expecting the Davidic king to restore true worship by eliminating its false imitations. An implication, therefore, is that our society needs to rethink what it means to be authentic. Rather than begin with the idea of being true to ourselves, we need to be true to God and his king. Let's pray. I'll open it up to any questions or comments that you might have.
Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the book of Two Kings and how by reflecting on the various kings, uh, they prepare us in one way or another for the becoming of your king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that in contrast to Manasseh, who led the people astray to idolatry and your judgment on them, that um, Josiah, uh, in view of um, taking heed of your revelation in the book of law, got rid of idolatry and restored true worship by worshipping you as you had revealed yourself. And Father, although that reform is not um, lasting, we thank you how it prepares the way for an understanding of the Lord Jesus as we consider him, that he is the one who makes you known, who reveals the Father, for he is the Son. And through his redemptive work on the cross, uh, we are able to turn from idolatry to the true and living God, receive the forgiveness of sins for our idolatry, and spend an eternity serving and getting to know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, any questions or comments? Everyone okay? I know it's a warm one. Yes. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, so the question about him being the best king ever, does it make him better than David? 
should have just finished early, shouldn't I? <laughs> anyway, thank you much for being back, don't you, by waiting. Um, let's have a look what 2 Kings 23 says again and see if we can... Uh, um, so 2 Kings 23, 25, it does say, Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Okay. So, a couple of thoughts. So, it's a a fair observation. We think, hang on, Um, I can imagine a thought process where we've had a lot of David and then Josiah comes along. We certainly think Josiah is better than David and therefore Josiah will be then the measure of um, Judah. But that isn't what happens. So David is always the measure of this kingdom of God because it was to him the promises were made. And if you remember, a really important part of the Bible to get your head around at some point is 2 Samuel 7. That's when the promises are made. And to some extent, David's greatness is tied up in, that, in the point of he is to him have been given the promises, is that um, David was a man according to God's own heart, and that was, that was uh, what was going on. So in that sense, I think we're right to be thinking it's David will continue to be the lamp that shines. And when we get to the New Testament, um, it is, it's, it's the... Um, oh, if you go anywhere, it, it, it's, it's invariably put that this kingdom is the Davidic kingdom. This is the Davidic king. So then, what do you make of verse 25? So it may be, okay, I'll have this as a thought. Um, one thing the Bible is, quite likes to do, rather than just say, here are the goodies, here are the baddies, um, it doesn't really work like that because people are much more complicated. So if you have someone like David, is David a goodie or a baddie? Well, he does lots of good stuff, but he does lots of bad stuff as well. And so what the Bible seems to be able to do is to say, at this, on this point, at this, on this axis, he, he's great. So you know, David's great. David's greatness is tied because of the promises made to him, at least on that axis. Interestingly, in verse 25, it says, Before him there was no king like him, who turned to the law with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor does any like him arise after him. So it'd be an inc- interesting question to think on the, um, on the measure of reform, because I don't think we would necessarily say David was a reformer in that sense. He was, the, he was the one to whom the promises were given. Actually, Josiah, there is none like him. The reform that he led in the way that Know, all that Manasseh did. I mean, he constructed everything. But Josiah comes in, smashes it all to pieces, and then restores true worship. And so maybe the comment here is, 
um, on the measure of reform that Josiah doesn't, doesn't like him. So there we go. Tom, do you want to add anything? Cool. Oh, okay, we've opened floodgates now, Nathan. <laughs> An easy one. What comes after 1 Kings 23? 2 Kings 23, 2 Kings 24. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, thanks. So, um, so observation that there's been quite a lot of reform. You know, the good kings, again, you know, the, what they're bringing is a measure of reform, but they haven't dealt with the high places thus far. But you say Hezekiah did, but then Manasseh rebuilt them, Josiah did. And so Josiah stands out as one who really does, it's really unqualified, that he doesn't leave anything. But then it's your question, like, but the fact that it's still quite fleeting... What are we to kind of make of that? I think, and I think this is a thing where, um, um, you know, if you ask the point, what's the point of the Old Testament? You know, why don't we go straight from Genesis 3 to Matthew 1? You know, why, why do we have all of this? Um, I think part of the answer is that there is this preparation um, that as we've gone through the kings, we've been learning about what God's purposes are, um, not least that the problem of the world is idolatry and that it's by the means of his appointed king that he will get rid of idolatry and establish the true worship of his people so that when we arrive at Jesus as the king, we've got a whole bunch of expectations as to what we're expecting from him. Now, that's quite powerful because it puts to bed things like, you know, if we think Jesus is going to... Um, I'm thinking of kind of a me-centred, like... You know, like I was saying before about when we talk about true worship, is it true to me or true to God? Jesus isn't coming to bring like, self-fulfilment in terms of it's not... He's coming so that I can worship God um, in a way that's true to myself. He isn't coming to um, bring that. So if we start with our culture, 
then we're expecting Jesus to kind of do what our culture is struggling to do, but to sort of do it well. But before we even get to the New Testament, we've got these categories of we're prone to false worship of God, of misrepresenting him and therefore doing a whole bunch of stuff that just angers him, to his king coming, who is going to, um, in one way or another, help us to, or enable us to worship God as he really is in a way which is pleasing to him. But that's kind of a paradigm shift. And when you come to the New Testament, you think, oh yeah, that is what Jesus, it makes sense of what he says and what he does and what redemption's all about, which you would lose if you went straight from Genesis 3 to um, um, sort of Matthew 1. So I think there is this, and, and I guess the fact that the reforms aren't lasting, you just think the promises aren't fulfilled, they're left wanting, you read on. Because you could, do you remember back in Genesis 3, there was a the promise of the serpent crusher? Now, it's funny, because when we did Genesis, we kept asking that promise, is this one the serpent crusher, this one the serpent crusher? By the time you get to two kings, you stop asking the question. But we should still be asking the question, because there is going to be a serpent crusher. And you, know, you could, for a moment, think, is Josiah the one? You know, is he one? But he's not, because Manasseh has put a nail in the coffin that Josiah's righteousness can't pull out. And, but then it causes to read on. So I think the... Um, um, and I think that's helpful because what you don't want to be saying here is the application of this is, well, we need to reform church. We're going to have a review day. We're going to re- reform everything because you just think that's, that's, the, that's not really what we're about. This is about setting up and preparing expectations for the king so that when he comes, we actually get what he's, um, what he's doing. Okay, cool. Look, it's warm, so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to terminate it here because um, we can chat in the cool breeze of the air at the picnic. But let's um, sing again. Uh, Behold the Lamb of God who bears our sin, and then we'll share in the Lord's Supper. So do stand as the music begins.